Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are going to begin discussing 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 to 14. And in these three verses, we see a picture of radical transformation. In the close of the last section, which introduced one of the strong themes of the book against false teachers, Paul closes that thought out by telling Timothy that he needs to charge certain persons to understand that the law that they are twisting actually does apply to them. They are using it as a plaything of sorts, hunting endlessly to find things of interest, but that have also have no personal bearing on their lives. Uh, that isn't the intended function of the law at all. This is, in effect, what he says in 1 Timothy 1, 9, and 10 when he says that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. Then he goes through that whole list there and ends with it and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In other words, we noted when we discussed this uh, that, first of all, this isn't an exhaustive list. So if by some miracle you don't find yourself in that big list, don't worry. If you're doing something, thinking something, etc., that is contrary to sound doctrine, then you are categorized with the lawless. This simply argues the point that there really is no one that fits being the bill of just in verse 9 except for Jesus Christ. But there's a second observation, and that is this. When he says that anything else that is contrary to sound doctrine, we have to make the conclusion that sound doctrine must be chronicled somewhere. In other words, we can't just talk about sound doctrine. It has to be located somewhere. How do we know what is sound doctrine and what isn't? The litmus test for this is whether or not it is, as 1 Timothy 1 verse 11 says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So we ask the question, does it align with the gospel? Now, the interesting thing to note is the shift in the language. Paul not only says that he can identify false teachers as those who pursue endless genealogies and myths, verse 4, which are nothing more than vain discussions, verse 6, but also that he personally knows what the gold standard is. Here, while it finishes the thought up that he is delivering to Timothy at the opening of the letter, it also serves to transition to a powerful tool in the ministry, and that tool is the personal testimony. So as he begins to talk about the gospel and what a wonderful thing it is, the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, uh, he is now going to talk about his personal testimony, and it's a wonderful, easy, seamless transition to talk about that, and that's exactly what he does. And I want to take a moment here and emphasize to you the power of the personal testimony. Never underestimate it. I can recall hearing this as a brand new believer when I thought that there was no way that I could figure out how to share the gospel with someone and have heard from many people in the years since then that they also struggle with figuring out how to share the gospel. Well, I was told early on when I was a brand new believer to simply tell the story of how I came to hear the gospel and was transformed by it. 
Paul is actually keeping on topic, believe it or not, because in order for Timothy and the false teachers at Ephesus to appreciate the weight of what Paul was saying, they not only needed to see the difference between their false gospel and the true gospel, but they also needed to see the transforming power that it had on Paul's life. So that's what we're talking about, and that's what Paul's going to go into. So this personal testimony is actually not out of place because Paul's going to say this gospel that I just mentioned, this gospel that can be twisted and perverted with false teaching because you distort the law and you don't understand its relationship and everything like this, let me tell you what this gospel did for me. Insert personal testimony. So as we then dive into this text... What we need to do is consider the power of the gospel. And to do that, we're going to look at three uh, different aspects of the power of the gospel. We're going to look at its source, its mercy, and its grace. So let's consider the power of the gospel. Verse 12 gives us the source of the power, right? The power for true gospel ministry is sourced in God. It comes from God. What does Paul say here in verse 12? I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. The power for true gospel ministry comes from God. So God's servant will acknowledge the true source of power and position with thanksgiving. Notice what Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength. This is departure from the normal Thanksgiving, which is usually found in this word Eucharisto or Eucharisteo, uh, and we get we can we probably think that sounds familiar because the Roman Catholic Church has this thing called the Eucharist, the Holy Eucharist, which is uh, just taken that you know over from just the Greek there, which is an act of Thanksgiving, but this is not that word. Here, it is an idiomatic saying that is usually rendered, I give thanks, but is translated literally as, I have grace. And it's Karin echo, like, I have grace, Karin, or Karin. Uh, One commentator said, if there's any significance in the change beyond assimilation to the conventional idiom, it may possibly reflect Here it is, the influence of residence in the West, since the Latin equivalent is gratium babeo, or babeo. Okay, so a lot of technicalities there, but this is just taking in a common idiomatic saying, which is beginning to show that he has been dwelling in the West, okay? That's, That's really what that's saying. But the two actions here, are participial, uh, the, the one strengthening and the one appointing, right? So I thank him who has given me strength. These are participles. He appointing me uh, to his service. Uh, that just is a tag on, right? The actor is identified appositionally as Christ Jesus, our Lord. So let's consider him in light of these two actions towards the apostle, Paul. Sometimes I think we may be guilty of relegating Christ to his brief three-year public ministry. He is our creator, the infinite and eternal God. He has all power and authority. Kings will fall down before him. Emperors will bow the knee before his presence. 
earth and sky flee away and no place is found for them. Revelation 20, verse 11. Uh, Think about what is said in Philippians about every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That includes emperors and kings, right? So we do a disservice when we we just relegate him to that three-year public ministry. Christ Jesus is the one who is strengthening his servants for ministry, whether it's Paul back then, 2,000 years ago, or it's us today, or his servants beforehand, right? And he's also uh, the one who appoints people uh, by his sovereign decree. He is the one who supplies strength from his infinite supply. When we think about that, the strengthening that is supplied by God does not somehow uh, begin to uh, deplete some resource that he has because he has an infinite amount of it. So there's no depletion there. It's not that we're taking something from him and now he has less of it. Uh, There's no depletion ever. So he supplies strength from his infinite supply. He is the one who appoints and none can remove. Think about this in Job 12 verse 14, we read that if he tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. And so we can understand that when he appoints, it is not the work of man, but of God. And this is why the gospel has power. This is why the church is God's ordained means on this earth for our conformity to Christ's likeness. Why? Because God has decreed it. Okay. And that begins to open up the thing, uh, the discussion, I should say, to be more precise here. Uh, that will get us into like the offices later on. Okay. When we talk about the apostolic office, which we have before, not apostello in a general sense of the sent one, but the actual office of apostle, which Paul occupies, we have to understand that this appointment comes from God. This is not from man. So only God could appoint and therefore no man can tell them that they're not that thing. Well, similarly, and and it, it has parallels. It's not exactly the same thing. The pastor is called by God, and we'll actually get into this a little bit in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 with the qualifications for the pastor, teacher, the overseer. Uh, We'll talk about that. And also in Ephesians chapter 4, we see that that is one of the gifts to the church. But the calling comes from God, and it is not the church. Now, the church confirms the calling. Those uh, qualifications have to be visible within the church, but the calling itself comes from God. And that's a very important distinction to make because uh, some people falsely say, well, you know, if a pastor is going to candidate at a church and then the church decides, you know, to call him and then they vote on it, and let's say it's unanimous and everything like that. There, I've heard stories where a church says, well, we pay your salary, so therefore we tell you what to do. Well, sort of, but not really. You do pay his salary. That's the, that's the sort of part. Uh, but you don't get to tell him what to do or what to teach because you, know, you should examine his doctrine and make sure it's orthodox and with the scripture, but you don't get to set the preaching schedule or those type of things because that comes from the Lord. And he has that authority. So, uh, you know, that's kind of a little rabbit trail there, but it's important to to begin to see the connection because we see it here in these participles. By the way, the power of his servant finds as its root the word from which we get our English word dynamite. 
This isn't so readily seen in the ESV where it is translated as strength. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, or I thank him, the one strengthening me, which is a little more awkward, but that brings in that participial uh, sense to it. But again, that word strength is actually translated elsewhere as power. And I believe, I don't have it all open in front of me, but I think there are some translations that do render that as power. Thank him who has given me power, Christ Jesus our Lord. Anyway, that's the word we're talking about. So this strengthening, right? Talking about power and position, uh, we see that in strength here. It's this, the root is the same word from which, uh, same root that we have our English word dynamite. So when we talk about power, we're talking about explosive power, could be rendered as power, might, strength, force, it's strength here, uh, or capability, carries the idea of aggressive power. That's really, really what we're talking about. We have the aggressive force and power of God behind us in the proclamation of the gospel. So Christ Jesus has strengthened Paul, he's saying, in this gospel service. And when we are going out doing the work of the gospel, that same power has been gifted to us. It's not our own. It's something that it comes from God and God is never depleted of that because he has infinite supply. So that's incredible. Uh, why then do we have a follow-up question here? Why did Christ Jesus choose to impart strength to Paul? Uh, well, Paul answers that because he judged me faithful. Ah, you might say the Lord saw my faithfulness to him and has rewarded it. Well, not quite. The English is a little misleading. It's not the typical Greek word that one would expect for judgment. That is krino. He has judged me. That's often the case. But it is a middle passive word, which means to lead. Uh, and it's, it's not a different form of krino either, a geomai, uh, this middle verb. It is the gift of God that we are faithful. So he has led me. And passive means that the, it is being done. Uh, so that means that Paul is on the receiving end and he is being led uh, to be faithful. Okay, that's really what is being addressed here. So then we can look back at this and say it is the gift of God that we are faithful to the gospel because Christ leads us to be faithful. Our service to him is something that he has enabled us to do. And this comes out in Paul's personal testimony in the verses that follow. Uh, now, what has he appointed Paul to And as we continue this? Well, the position of a servant, right? Because he judged me faithful or has led me to be faithful, appointing me to his service. So the position of service. And this is not the term for servant as in Philippians 1 verse 1, the doulos, which he uses. That's, that's his description of himself there where he says he's a slave of Christ Jesus. And that one speaks in terms of our rightful Lord and master. But this term here is rather a term that is rendered for deacons. In fact, deacon is a form of a verb, uh, you know, to, to deek we talk about, which is service, diakonion, uh, you know, and that's where we get our words, just a transliteration, if you will, uh, speaks to our posture before our master. So that's what it's talking about. Speaking of posture, we serve Christ 
and not the other way around. He doesn't serve us. We serve him. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. And that purchase was to place us into the Lord's service. This stands in opposition to the very core of what the false teachers were pushing. They were focused on their own agenda, not the exposition and proclamation of the word of God, but twisting it to their own pleasure. The true servant of God serves God. And the problem comes when people have a wrong theology and think that they are serving God when they are doing acts of wickedness. They think that they're serving God while they're doing wicked things. Look at John 16, verse 2, which is why it must always come back and be weighed against the scriptures. All right. So the power of true gospel ministry, uh, we can, as we consider it, first we consider its source. Real power in gospel ministry is found in God and it's tied to the scripture that he's already given to us. It's tied to the gospel. And with that gospel, as long as we're adhering to it, comes incredible power. That's all we have time for today. We'll come back and address the other two aspects of the power of God, its mercy and its grace in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.